On the cover, the Heron Towers stand at the end of a long road, the square in front of them full of broken statues of heroes. Arms linked at the elbow and striding forward, walk Horsehead, Hextinction, Daybreak, and Patrine. Slightly behind, and looking back towards the reader, saunters a lanky form in a long, dusty coat with an elaborate mustache and a cheeky wink. Near the top of one of the towers, we can see a bright blue glow and the silhouette of a figure with arms crossed, staring down at our heroes. Hindsight, issue 5. Time flies. So welcome back to the future, uh, where we have a group of fairly bewildered children with a robotic head that has just come back online. And I think in this scene when we left off, we had Hextinction, Petrine, Horsehead. I think Daybreak had gone to make some food. So I want to start uh, with the group with the head. Yeah, let's just jump right into it. How's it going? Well, Petrine has not been taken over, so I'm going to say good. I am in fact still myself. I am as fine as a robot can be. Right, but what, what about the head? It what seems the, to have what? come back online. Everything is fine. Yeah, the head at this point is kind of like holding itself up on some little tentacle thingies and kind of looking around at the rest of the room. Very bewildered. Hold on just a sec. Sinking? I'm, I'm still updating. This is awful. Updating period is when I am most vulnerable. I understand. Jesse Clips is in the room, right? Yeah, and she is, uh, I think she's approaching on this thing because she does have a stun gun that was previously out of charges. She has reloaded at this point, and she is advancing on it uh, with a with a stun gun. I would not recommend using that yet, because turning off a terminal when it is in the middle of updating can completely ruin the item. I like that as a point to uh, to move over to Daybreak for just a sec. So, you're in the kitchen, and I, and I am sorry, it has been literally six months since we recorded. What were you making? I don't remember, but let's just assume I'm making lumpia, because that's amazing, and everyone likes that. That's exactly what it was. Think it I, think, I think that's actually, that. I'm fairly sure that is, now that you say it. So, it's amazing that you can actually find the stuff to make this in this dystopian hell future in which you find yourself, and yet, you have managed. It's also amazing that a, like a municipal water building apparently has the facilities to make this, and yet here we are. Yeah, I can make it work. I want to have a brief flashback. You're not from here, and we briefly touched on that last time, but I want to expand on that a little bit. Where are you from? Daybreak is from the early 90s, uh, late 80s, so uh, a time before technology and, and stuff like that. <laughs> technology was not invented until 94. Oh, oh yeah. That hurts me. You know, way past, you know, way before the modern world. Like at the switch between the silver and the bronze, I think is where I yeah, like, like him to be. Like early bronze sounds about right. And how did you come to be a hero? So Daybreak has always had powers. He's, uh, I think they're, they're called fragments in Apex City. So he's always had powers. He's always wanted to uh, be a hero. And his family has been all in with this as well. My immediate family all know that I was trying to be a hero, and then my first big bad guy was um, Cybersource Hex. So that that was fun. So that moment when Hex showed up over Tezuka Square, what were you doing at the time? Because this was a very sudden thing. Let's go with, uh, I was coming back from grocery shopping. 
Okay. So you're coming back from grocery shopping, you're cutting across the square, and all of a sudden there is this loud peal of probably like the loudest thunder you have ever heard, and there is a giant cybernetic triceratops skull just floating over the square. The sky is immediately darkened, and like pouring out of it, there are these figures uh, that are just cased in what looks to you like very shiny chrome, like you don't know what nanotech armor looks like. It's the 90s. Or maybe you do, actually. They look kind of like Silverhawks, if you ever watched that. Mm, okay, yeah. Definitely would have been into uh, cartoons. And so so how did Daybreak respond to this? Um, so I think he responds by flinging one of his bags of groceries. Uh, and like as I'm assuming the big giant skull turns towards me, I'm putting on my mask. And hey, what's the big idea? We get a couple of panels of you and as soon as you are facing it, there is a much larger figure in front of you. And this is, you have seen Hex before because Hex is an old school villain, but this is a new version of Hex. The Hex you're used to is basically a magic time travel cowboy. The only reason you know it's him is because his face is the same and he's wearing a cowboy hat. But from there down, he is cased in cybernetic armor. He has this big reptilian mandible like attachment kind of thing. And he bats you aside like nothing. And how do you respond to that? By getting up and jumping into his face. And as you are jumping into his face, and I assume you're like glowy power trying to punch him or... Oh, yeah. And as you are doing that, we can see over your shoulder in an alleyway a fairly old man with a waxed, twirled mustache and a bunch of machinery strapped to his chest. And standing next to him is an older figure that looks surprisingly like Daybreak. Now, Daybreak does not see this. All Daybreak sees is the bright flash of light and then finds himself in a very different set of surroundings. And I want to move from there back into the room with Overclock's head. And he blinks a couple of times. Wait, hold, wait. I have been offline for nearly 50 years. Okay, somebody want to explain what the hell's going on? This is not 2067. I'm just having a, like a bug, right? That's, that's what's going on? I'm afraid not. If you'd like, I could connect to your database and release all the information that you would need for you. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't. Don't do that, Petrine. Oh. That may be a little Understood. overwhelming for him. Nah, nah, it's, it's fine. Look, I got processors for days. It's fine. He does have processors for days. Uh, Jesse, why, why did, why did, why were we recovering a head? Why is there a head on the floor? Why is it talking to us? <laughs> Jesse loads a clip into the stun gun uh, and readies the charge. It kind of whirs up. And she looks back over at you, and just to remind both you and the audience, it's because this head was putting off a signal that is the same as the hacked people that inhabit the dark future of 2067. So this head, which predates that event by a good bit, is throwing off the exact same radio signal that they use to network, which means this may be something that was involved in how that whole thing happened. And potentially a way to fix it sure Which, uh, i'm going to yeah get down on my you, knees in front of this little head and uh, uh i explained to him we are in a future to your time that you came from where we are having a cyber zombie problem we believe that your tech is linked to it somehow perhaps you have been used to make them or perhaps you are going to become a cyber zombie yourself wait wait okay hold yeah no that sounds about right i mean that was one game plan i guess and I'm sorry, who are you? Oh, I am Horsehead. It is best to not count your octopi before they hatch. Yeah, that's great. So I do want to 
very quickly maybe try and trigger some moves here. Is anyone trying to do something specific? I'm not. I was told not to connect to him. Um, I might. Um, I think this would be a good place for a comfort or support to try and get him to open up enough to tell us about this zombie thing. And I have a move that is called Wish I Could Be, where when I comfort or support someone, if you tell them what you most envy about them, I can roll freak instead of mundane. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I like that. I guess the question is, what do you most envy about this uh, disembodied robot head? Uh, he has facial features and he can emote. <laughs> Fair! Fair! No, that is, that is a good that, answer. That is a problem with being a sentient cloud. Okay, uh, so, so go ahead and give me that. Oh, there we go. That is a 13. Fantastic. So what does that scene look like? Just me shamelessly flattering him. I'm there going, wow, your updates have performed fantastically. I can see confusion. Uh, I can see uh, slight relief. Uh, you have the most amazing facial control of something yeah, of your I, kind I've ever seen. I mean, I ought to. I built this thing myself. You built it? Oh, yeah. Look. Yourself. Yeah, not to give you my whole tragic backstory, but this this head isn't really me, and it's definitely- God, I guess my actual body is dead by now. That's depressing. Well, someone as smart as you, you could build the whole thing yourself again, right? Yeah, I've, I've done it a couple of times now. I just need a facility or some kind of tech. I mean, realistically, that suit you're wearing, I could probably build a body out of in like, I don't know, like three, four days tops. Point is- Thank you. I appreciate that. I am a little bit bewildered. So I think on the comforter support, so on a hit, he's definitely going to hear you. So on the 10 plus, do you want to add a team or clear a condition? Um, I'll add a team. So that brings us up to two in the pool because we do have one since this is a brand new session. And it kind of settles down on those things. All right. So you've got some sort of cyber zombie. Pr Look, okay. So I, I don't know how much history you know, and I honestly don't know how much history I I am. I like to think that I'm a big deal. I don't think I was, though. I, I'm kind of going through what's left of the internet at this point, and I, I don't see a whole lot of references. That's also depressing. Indeed. I cannot find you on future Wikipedia. Wait, there's a future Wikipedia? Why do they call it future Wikipedia? Wouldn't it just be Wikipedia? I made that update. Ha. <laughs> yeah, look, point is, I wasn't exactly what you call a great person, by which I mean, as a side effect of this body in which I find myself, I can hijack people through any implanted technology they might have, like, you know, like a pacemaker. So, uh, yeah, I got some expertise. You will have a very easy time right now. Yeah, I'm getting that. He's, okay, so here's the thing, right? Like, if you've got a bunch of these people, it means that they've got some kind of tech inside them. Like, I, I can't do jack shit if you ain't got any implants. I mean, yeah, they there's kind of a techno organic thing going on. It's um it's not great. And, and I kind of want to move from there. Funny, I want to I want to get another flashback with Extinction. At that point where Hex showed up over Tezuka Square, that was what we call in the villain business a distraction, to which the at the time biggest response group in Apex City was a group called Kopi, which is the uh, Centers for Observation of Powered Individuals. And they're definitely not a Black Ops response team. Who would even think that? Massive attack downtown. Most of their uh, attention was drawn towards downtown, while Hextinction infiltrated the Kopi Pyramid. So last session was not your first time there. Hmm. Hmm. Good to know. <laughs> as you are making your way through Kopi HQ, you are looking for a very specific thing, and it is a like a three foot by three foot 
square uh, that you happen to know is full of very, very prototype nanomachines that form a like a nano cloud. Uh, Hex wants this for reasons that you are not privy to at this point in time. But as you come on this lab, there is a middle-aged Puerto Rican guy in there wearing a lab coat and glasses. And as you enter, I think he takes a shot at you actually just with a sidearm. Now, obviously you're robot dino magic person, so it doesn't really do a whole lot. But the question is, how do you respond? Probably just immediately acting on instinct, like low to the ground, Legs transform into, like, speeding raptor legs. Arm extends into a, like, vicious claw and just, like, ram the arm into this man and drive him into the wall. Yeah, and we see him pass out pretty much immediately. Uh, He is in no way able to withstand that sort of thing. And he is, like, still hanging on to your arm as he is passing out. We get a couple of panels of Hextinction taking this nano cloud and then we move back over to where overclock has just told the groups of you that they would need to have some sort of technology inside them and i assume you're putting two and two together at this point yeah can i mark guilty you sure can cool so i think at this point uh is when daybreak gets back with the lumpia because that seems like a a good time for people to have a snack (laughs) so can you eat you don't really have a like here have some and I'm trying stuff uh, Lumpia in Overclock's face. Yeah, he just kind of closes his mouth at you. It's delicious. You'll, you'll love it, I promise. I don't have taste buds. Oh, that is a shame. <laughs> yeah, my life is a living hell. Thanks for rubbing that in, by the way. I don't understand. I mean, we could probably find someone to fix that. I mean, we have... I, I'm so sorry. I yeah, also don't well. see a neck hole, Daybreak. I think it might just fill up his mouth. I mean, it might still be worth it for the taste. Yeah, look, the mouth is completely aesthetic. I could just have a speaker here if I wanted to. Sometimes I like to put things in my mouth just so I can feel them. An overclock just looks at you. Okay, someone explain what what's what's going on with, with that. Gonna be honest, I hooked into it and I, I kind of vaguely remember the reboot sequence. And that is, that is, just, what what is that? I am an Android database designed to serve extinction right now. No, no, no. You're you're betraying. You're you. You can be betraying. your. I am my own person. And he kind of looks over at Hextinction. Ah, oh, you, you got your own Android servant. Did you did you build did you build her yourself? No, no. Is your work? I came here from my planet. Alien Android. Oh, that explains everything. And he kind of looks over at Hextinction. Yeah, yeah. I guess that tracks. What What do you mean? I mean, and he kind of he kind of pauses. Okay, all right. I'm I'm just gonna assume that you you don't know you don't know that you've got alien tech in you, do you? <laughs> Extinction kind of like gives big like as big eyes as she can. No, wait. How do you know? Tech, tech, tech genius. Look, I I can I can pick up Wi-Fi, and at the moment I'm kind of boosting on on yours and. signals are different right so like like there's a lot of ways to get around a wireless signal but like wavelengths are a thing and so there's ones that are commonly used here but then there's ones that are not and you are not the first alien i have come across i mean not that you are just that some of the signals you're throwing off are so extinction's like an alien cell phone yeah i mean i guess you could say that where's the antenna more like built from okay look not important you got a bunch of what clock zombie cyber 
what do you call these things? People. People, they're people. Do we have a name for them? I feel like drones would be a solid slang for that. Like, unless anyone has other ideas. Well, yeah, we're, we're playing by zombie rules where you cannot call them zombies. <laughs> <laughs> well, because they're not dead. That's true. And they do have free will. Sometimes. Yeah, so I think drones is good. All right. So look, I've kind of been updating uh, and, like I said, perusing your modern day what's left of the internet. And uh, I've been looking in on these signals because, as you said, they kind of seem like mine. And that has me curious. I think I might be able to help you. My signal can be turned off. Misery does acquaint a man with strange bedfellows, as said in Electricity Kills by author Zigzag Warpingshan on 428 paragraph C. Yeah, cool, great. All you gotta do is get me somewhere real high. I could throw you. Y- yeah, no, I- I'm gonna need to be there for a minute. I could keep throwing you. <laughs> yeah, let's call that a solid plan B. Um, in this uh, dystopian future, how many high-rise buildings uh, still remained intact? We did kind of destroy one. Well, the Kobe Pyramid wasn't terribly tall, but the Heron Towers do still exist. And for those people who are listening uh, who are not familiar with this whole setting. Editor's note. Editor's note. Heron was a biomed company that was real, real big, uh, multi-global, and they had a series of interconnected skyscrapers in the center of Apex City. There were five of them, of which three are still standing. Question. Answer. Do we have any idea who's currently occupying these towers? That is a great question. Maybe, because I want to I wanna move over to Horsehead at this point. Yes. It's time for your happy fun flashback. We have uh, talked about Horsehead as he exists now as a cloud of gas inside a robot suit, but this is not always who Horsehead was. So who was Horsehead? Uh, Horsehead was a, uh, a gifted science prodigy. He was, he was a, a very smart kid. He got himself into uni uh, very early. Apex U, uh, which is where the accident happened. Mm-hmm. Apex U is one of the few things that is still intact and functional to this day, because it is near a neighborhood called Claremont, which is one of the only places in Apex City that is still more or less habitable. It's contained inside a shining golden dome that is patrolled pretty heavily, and inside that dome the sky is blue, there's none of the grey dust that floats around, it is very, very nice. So this is where Horsehead was most likely raised where he is from. And tell us just a little bit about his family life. Oh. I'm asking the hard questions. <laughs> yeah, you are. We're planning to find out what happens. <laughs> he, he had a good family life. I, I think he's also uh, related to Daybreak. Yeah, I, I think there was something about that. Right, you're my uncle. In, in, in my future, I become your uncle. Yeah, it was kind of like an idyllic family life uh, interspersed with these weird moments of where, like, Nightfall would come out to this little town to visit. Yeah, and that makes sense because Nightfall actually lives in Claremont. That's where the base of operations for his uh, little section of this regime is. So almost immediately after this accident, once you have been contained in your suit and you are not, not like immediately, but very soon after... While you were still kind of in quarantine and figuring out how to be, Nightfall came for a visit. And what kind of state uh, was Horsehead in at that point? 
gaseous. But He's, uh, more, like, it, it, more personality-wise. Uh, very distressed. I think the the fact was, like, at that time he was still struggling to, um, like, at the moment he just, like, lifts his suit up from the inside. Like, he just wasn't capable of doing that. He, he was passing through everything. And so, he was just, like, this, this is scattered cloud and very terrified. And so, we see Nightfall come in and pull up a chair and have a seat. And he actually reaches a hand out. And as he does, the the shadows in the room coalesce around it, and he puts it on your shoulder. And this is probably the first time you have felt a touch since you turned into a gas. Yeah, this is this is shocking. And he looks at you with concern and goes, "How are how are you holding up? Is everything okay?" Uh, uh, things the uh, things are not okay. Nightfall. Uh, you you must know someone with with powers like this that could that could do something for me or teach me to use it or. Yeah, but, I mean, I think you know these days, there's not a whole lot of people with powers outside the regime, so... Uh, Nightfall, I, I can't take my college entrance exam if I can't lift a pen. Look, we're we're working on that. We're gonna get you set up. It's okay. In the meantime, I just want you to know that when when you do get yourself sorted out, and when you adjust, and trust me, you will adjust. I had a scary time as a kid, too. You're gonna have a place in this regime. You're gonna have support you're not gonna be alone that's a little chilling like jory's like known about the regime he knows nightfall's involved with it but he's been uncomfortable with that aspect and he's now just realizing that the way he is now getting support might mean tying himself to this regime and we see him stand up and kind of pace back and forth for a second and look back over at you i understand this life isn't what you wanted but it's what you got now and my best advice to you is to lean into it don't spend too much time worrying about trying to go backwards because, trust me, there's no going back. Sometimes the world just changes, and if you don't change with it, you'll just fall off, and you can't have that. Is that what happened to you, Nightfall? The world just changed for you? And he stops for a moment, and he looks back over. Yeah. Everything changed. He kind of claps you on the shoulder again. It's still weird that he can actually touch you in your gas form. I'll be back in a day or two, but just just think about it. And he sees himself out. And we come back to the present. And one thing you know is that Nightfall does make regular excursions outside of Claremont, and that a lot of times he heads off in the direction of that downtown where the Heron Towers are. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that he might be going there on a regular basis. I say to the others, look, Heron Towers are very tall. They'd be a perfect pick for what we need. But we may encounter villains around there. Sp- specifically, and, and he looks at Daybreak kind of guiltily. Uh, specifically, uh, Daybreak-adjacent villains. Wait, I don't have villains yet. <sighs> You're talking about Nightfall? I- I'm talking about Nightfall, yes. Oh, well then let's go. I've been meaning to uh, have a chat with myself. Yeah, yeah. I look over at the other two and I, I-, I kind of feel silly now because i realize like i was trying to emote to them but i they can't see a face or anything (laughs) so are are you both okay with this will this help save everyone then yes yeah i mean it doesn't seem like we have much of a choice i mean you know this is the only lead we have so far cool um so i'll hold the creepy head that's probably a smart idea given that you're the only one uh without technology in you <laughs> so I want to move forward. As we get towards downtown, Apex City becomes less and less intact. It's kind of run down towards the outskirts, but way back, something really, really messed up 
the downtown area. It's like a bomb going off. And so the closer you get to that uh, to that downtown area, the more disrepair things are in. And we get a couple of panels over your shoulders as you're walking and assumedly talking. As you are making your way downtown, we see a couple of panels over your shoulders of a gentleman in a long, dusty coat with like a, a rebreather kind of face mask following you across the rooftops. And as you get to downtown, you hear behind you the thump of someone landing on the ground behind you. What do you do? Turn around. Yeah, turning around, see who who just landed. You turn around and there's a tall-ish, thin-ish figure in a kind of dusty black coat. And you can see uh, that he has machinery kind of strapped to his chest. And he's wearing a rebreather. Raise a single hand. Greetings. And he, and he waves back at you. And just no introduction whatsoever walks up and Patrine grabs like the bottom of your face and starts turning it side to side to look at you. Hmm. Never got to see this kind of technology up close like this. I'm going to push him off of Patrine. <laughs> yeah, it's not hard. He's not like physically imposing or anything. And he, and he holds up a hand. Sorry, sorry. Would you like me to pull up my specs? You know what? Maybe later. Not not important right now. And he, and he pulls down the mask, and you see a figure with a very elaborate, waxed and twirled, immaculate mustache, even in this, this apocalyptic future. And he holds out a hand. Professor Hamilton Paradox, at your service. It is a pleasure to meet you, says Patrina, and shakes the hand. So Daybreak, um, he's starting to light up his fist. It's still at his side, but he's showing a little bit of uh, aggression here. Professor Par- Paradox? Why, why are you here? Long story. And he kind of scratches at the machinery that you can see hooked directly into his chest. Don't really have time for it at the moment. But point of fact, you're going up to those towers and uh, I'm going up there as well. And I was hoping that I could join you. Oh, do you work in there? No, but something of mine is up there. Do you guys not know who this is? I have no idea. No. So, villain, bad guy, steals stuff? I'm sorry, I take offense at that. Villain, really? <laughs> okay, super villain? I am the greatest thief in all of history. Right, super villain. <sighs> Are you going to harm anyone? No. This does not conflict with save everyone protocols. And he kind of... Daybreak, he did say the object he's retrieving belongs to him. It's not theft. I have a feeling that he considers a lot of things as belonging to him that might not actually technically belong to him. (laughs) All right, but this one actually does. Okay, look, I'm a time-traveling villain, but I've been stuck here. I don't have a time machine on me, and it's not like I have superpowers. But, as it turns out, I have been tracking a signal. One of my machines is up one of those Heron Towers, and it has been used in recent past, but I think it might still have enough juice to get me back. Wait, you have a time machine? I have lots of time machines. You're looking at the guy who invented time travel, for God's sakes. You did not invent time travel. I certainly did, young... construct. Perhaps on this planet. Alright, so look, here's the thing. How do you think time works? I I know we don't have a whole lot of time, but I want to do this. It goes from the past to the present to the future. Linear time, quaint concept. For most people, yes, sure. There are multiple dimensions which are interwoven on top and side, and and they're kind of also all along the same lines. I would like Patrine to go on like this long ramble, rambling description at this point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> since we have established that her people mastered time travel a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And you have future Wikipedia. And she has future Wikipedia. It's very scientific and almost impossible to understand. And I mean, I imagine I have a pretty 
solid understanding being raised by Hex. Mm-hmm. And, and, and fun fact, I actually want to ask uh, you specifically, in, in your model, how does time travel work? So I imagine from Hex's perspective, it's probably, and you know, from what Hex Extinction learned, time is more like a carefully arranged connection of like atoms um, with each moment being a molecule unto itself. And by rearranging the connections of the bonds between those moments in time, you can short-circuit them, you can move through time by basically saying, these two moments are now adjoined, but those moments could be now and five million years ago. All right, all right, so we've got interdimensional lattice work, and we've got kind of a quantum foam thing going over here, and he looks over at Horsehead. Would you like to take a crack as well? Oh, oh I, I know this one, I know this one. There are two ways. The first is a big cylinder of star matter that you need to get in orbit to, going at approximately, I forget the exact speed. That would be the one way to do it. And the other way is wormholes. All right, so we've got wormhole, quantum foam, interdimensional lattice, and linear time. All very good theories, all very good models problem is, all of them are wrong. The answer to how does time work is, it doesn't. When you break through that chronal barrier, time is like a glass of water. And wherever you find yourself, wherever your little bubble is affixed to the side of the glass, that's your current time. But if you shake the glass, all those little bubbles pop up to the top. Now me, first time I broke through that barrier, I went back to the creation of the universe, and all I had on myself was a pocket watch and a toaster, and I used those two things to build a time machine. Ipso facto, I created time travel at the beginning of the goddamn universe. So, I'm going to take the credit. I'm surprised you didn't try to steal a Big Bang. Very hard to steal cosmic coincidences, besides which I like being alive. I actually like this thing we've got going here. You like this? It can get a lot worse. And he kind of looks over at Hex, and you can tell there's something eating him, but he just shakes his head. Look, we don't have time to get into this. Can we just go to the tower? Will you let me come along with you? I'm in relatively poor health, and I don't think I would make it to the top by myself. But with the four of you, maybe. I have a bad feeling that if this time machine is being used in the tower, and Nightfall is making regular trips out there, then Nightfall is the one using it. Perhaps bringing the doctor with us would allow us to uh, shed some light on what's going on. I mean... I'm just gonna put this out there. If we help you, we get to use that time machine. If it is still intact, then yes, I will let you use my time machine one time. Do we have a deal? Daybreak is going to walk up close to him, and with his glowing hand, I am watching you. And with just a little bit of his power, give him a bit of a shove just to show him that I could probably hurt him a lot. Maybe doing a bit of shadowing of learning Threaten later. (laughs) Yeah, you shove him and... uh... He's not hard to shove. He wasn't lying. He's in poor physical health, and he wasn't physically imposing to begin with. So he just kind of like holds up a hand. Yes, sure. I don't expect you to trust me. I'm just asking you to help me. Isn't that what heroes do? Yes. Heroes save everyone. That sounds like an influence on... I think, you know what? Yes, I think so. Uh, So I think with that, he is trying to shift your superior up and sorry your savior your say yes sorry your savior up and probably your superior down yeah i'll take it so i guess uh the question at this point is are you taking one professor hamilton paradox along with you to the heron towers yes yeah yes we get to the base of the towers and the three that are still standing are not in great repair you can actually see that one of them has started to list and is now leaning against the central building 
but two of them actually still structurally sound. And Paradox stops at the base of one and pulls a pocket watch out of one pocket and starts fiddling with the dial. Uh, what are the rest of you doing? Nothing particular for Daybreak. I'm scanning. Horsehead is very nervously keeping watch. Uh, he's now convinced that like, uh, if they get in a fight with Nightfall and he beats them to the time machine, he's going to travel back in time and beat them here. <laughs> he, he could be here at any moment. <laughs> so uh, we've got Patrine and Horsehead both kind of scanning around. I'm looking for other technological uh, signals that are coming from nearby. And before we get to these potential moves that have just triggered uh, Horsehead, uh, sorry, Hextinction. I think it's a similar thing. You know, we're arrived at a location, try and figure out what's going on. If you would go ahead and assess the situation. All right. Hot damn. That's an 11, folks. Fantastic. So you get two questions off that list. What would you like to know? What here is the biggest threat? You do see kind of moving around the towers and definitely doesn't know that you're here yet, but you see a human form that is skirting around on these big shadowy tendrils. Hmm. There, There is definitely somebody up there. They are definitely keeping watch for something, uh, but they do not know that you are here yet. And I think you would recognize Nightfall. So yeah, it's Nightfall. Lovely. What here can I use to get into the tower? The towers are not terribly hard to get into. Are you looking for a way to get in maybe like unnoticed or stealthily or? Yeah, yeah, that would be the ideal way. Sure. Like any good biomed uh, company, there were loading docks and most of those have been looted long since. So those doors are just non-existent. The main entryways that foot traffic would come through look like they have been reinforced fairly recently, but they just haven't gotten all the way around the buildings yet. So you could probably go through the loading docks. Might be a little easier. Yeah. Textinction's gonna turn to Daybreak and says, Are you okay putting off your chat with yourself for a bit? Because I think it's better if we, you know, don't immediately get his attention. Fine. But if he shows up, he's mine. Yeah. I mean, I, I, got, I, I got that. And the other thing I actually wanted to trigger is from Petrine, since you are looking for signals or, you know, technological stuff. That does sound to me like an unleash your powers. You are extending your senses. At 12. On a hit, you do the thing. Tell me what that looks like on the page. Like, what does this actually look like? Uh, so what everyone, and probably what everybody else around us sees, is Patrine kind of moves her head slowly up the building in front of us, uh, the Heron Towers. And as she does, her totally normal human skin, don't worry about it, <laughs> suddenly it lights up with like a flicker of green and it rushes up, kind of like it's following kind of misplaced veins up to her eyes and they kind of flash green for a moment. We see kind of, um, and it looks just like something scanning up, up on the page. It's a, it starts low and then we have a three panels where it's slowly getting higher. And towards the top, not actually the center building, but towards the top of the, uh, offset tower, which is like Southeast of that, there is a pretty strong energy reading, uh, that you recognize as a chronal signature. So there is in fact a time machine up there. Your time machine is nearly to the top, professor. And he uh, flips the watch closed and sticks it back in his pocket. Yes, that's kind of what I was afraid of. I hate climbing stairs. I could throw you. It, no, look, my bones are brittle. No one ever takes me up on that. Would you like to be piggybacked? You know, somehow that seems more demeaning. It's fine. I'll just take the. <laughs> I'll just take the aches. It'll be all right. I am a robot. Good for you. <laughs> uh <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, our our best bet's probably getting in through those load knocks. Doesn't look like they've made them defensible yet. Sounds like a plan to me. Paradox is definitely going to go along with it. So, assuming there are no uh, dissenting people who just want to storm the tower, we do not need to climb this tower in real time. You get 
fairly high up. You're just a few floors away from the top, and you can see out over the city. And everything below about the middle of this building is coated in this fine gray dust. Above this, it's actually quite nice. You can see the sky, which for some of you is the first time you've seen the sky in a very long time. So I do want to get a couple of panels. What are people doing? How are they reacting? You're very close to what is very likely a functional time machine, but also possibly nightfall. Daybreak is staring out the window uh, at the blue sky and whatever the sun looks like now. Yeah, it's a little more dim. It's not as bright as it used to be, which is weird since it's only been like, what, 80 years since you left the the, the early 90s? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm just staring at it and it's still beautiful to me, it, even if it's a lesser sky than it was in the 90s, but still better than what I've been living with since I've gotten here. Patrine is watching Daybreak, and her panel has her looking at him, and she's got kind of an uncomfortable look on her face. Kind of a rare emotion. Uncomfortable why? She's pondering, you know, temporal anomalies being what they are. They're not exactly ideal to have around. So she's wondering if when they use this time machine, if Daybreak should be sent back in time. Or if he should stay here, because she really likes him. He's fun. Sort of a robot existential crisis. The proper protocol would be to send him back. That's fair. So while we're going up, Hextinction's going to look over to Horsehead and, um, as they're going up, say, So, uh, Horsehead, um... Yes? I was hoping to get your read on, your sort of thoughts on something. I know you're kind of, I guess, like... If you could undo, you know, all this, all, you know, where what you are now, would you? That is a good question. I'm sure you're thinking about it after hearing about the alien revelation. I mean, is that right? A bit. Um, there's there's a bit more to it than that, but yeah, let's let's go with the alien thing. This was very difficult for me to go through, but it's also the one thing that has allowed me to be immune to the nanotech plague. I've managed to help a lot of people. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I weren't, like, the way I am now. That seems like a moment of vulnerability. So, so Hextinction, what does your moment of vulnerability say? Uh, when you share a vulnerability or weakness with someone, ask them if they would defend you against those who mistrust you. And so, I think she looks over to, you know, she's she's sort of looks down and looks back up to, to Horsehead. Horse, Horsehead, um, if, if we get to use this thing and it works, some, some folks might have some different opinions about me. Yeah, you can't see this, but Horsehead is firing his eyebrows, if he had them. I just, I hope that, you know, I've done enough that, you know, I've got your trust, at least. Well, whatever happens to you, I'll make sure that we get you out of it. So that, that sounds like a yes to me. That is, that is a yes. And in the background, we can see the sun just starting to go down over the horizon as the group of you get up to the top of this building. And as you get to the top floor, you are faced for the first time in this entire journey with a locked door. And it's fairly large, looks fairly new, and it's not actually like a technological kind of lock. It is just a big, heavy deadbolt. What do you do? Crap. That's confusing. <laughs> I just imagine Patrine, Patrine walks forward uh, and she just casually puts her hand next to the door as if she's expecting there to just be some kind of electronic thing she can connect to. And then she stands there for a moment. There's like a, a, a beat page where she's standing there and then she goes, there's nothing technological for me to do here. And she steps back looking mystified. 
You can turn your finger into some sort of key, right? Like jam it in there? Is that a thing you can do? Yes. I would like to <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I have I have sorry, I'm la- I have a power called a mind of their own, so I would like to mm. adapt my hand like a Mr. Gadget hand into like lockpicks. Okay. <laughs> go go ahead and read that move out right quick. Your powers evolve and mutate. When you're facing an obstacle or threat that your power cannot be able to deal with, you can mark a condition to gain brand new abilities adapted to the situation. You lose these new powers once it's once the danger or trouble has passed. Okay. And what condition what condition would you like to mark? Um I kind of like the idea of hopeless. <laughs> oh god. There's not electronics here. This is crazy. Yeah, this is this is odd. It's an analog lock in a otherwise what, what used to be a very technologically advanced building. I need to take Patrine to the 90s. So yeah, you you turn your hand into a lockpick. I'm not going to make you roll anything for that. It's just an analog <laughs> lock. Just give me that look on the page where you actually turn your hand into that. You got it. So her hand, her normally human hand, uh, the skin kind of peels back uh, and reveals a mechanical underlying with like a green glowing veins beneath. And then two of her fingers kind of interlock and twist and then extend uh, to become like a torque wrench. And then on her other hand, the same happens and becomes like a pick. Have you done this before? No. Okay. Um, Daybreak is going to freak out a little bit. Human hands don't do that. Human hands don't do that. Ah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Daybreak, did you not sort of get the gist of, you know, Patrine by this point? Patrine kept saying that they're normal human Patrine. How many normal humans do you know who go around saying that they're normal humans all the time? You know, you'd be surprised. Was I? Overclock's head from where you're carrying him kind of chimes in. Yeah, I mean, I do it all the time. We are very normal humans. And she sticks her hands into the lock and starts lockpicking. <laughs> <laughs> I am looking up old videos of how to do this as I do this. Pardon. Hello, I'm the lockpicking lawyer, and today we have something new for you today. <laughs> and we get a couple of panels from the other side of this, where you can see a big uh, open lab area with this really old-timey, like, cogs and springs-looking very traditional chair time machine. Like, it's a big ornate chair with a lever and gears. And as we see this lock starting to turn... We see the figure of Nightfall come in through the window and head over towards a little station that's been set up near this uh, time machine and start entering some information and then realizes that there's some sound coming from the door and looks over. And that's about the time the door opens. So Patrine, yeah, you see a very nice looking lab. You see a big chair with a bunch of gears and springs and brass all over it and a big lever. Behind your shoulder, we see the uh, wizened form of Professor Paradox peek his head over your shoulder and just his eyes light up. What about the other three of you? Is Nightfall clearly visible yet? Not yet. Okay. I think I'm waiting for the door to open more. Yeah, no, ready to breach. So yeah, door opens up, and I'm assuming the group of yous are heading in there. Yeah. Uh, as I move in, my uh, fingers disconnect, and then the skin starts pushing back over my hands. My completely normal human skin. So now you just have one floppy finger? Oh, no, no now, my, now my hands are back to normal. Oh, oh, I thought you said your fingers disconnected. I thought you meant in the lock. Oh, no, they, they combined and lengthened to become like the bench. So they kind of come back into my hand and then split apart again. Gotcha. Oh, that's great. So you head in, and as you do, the shadows in the room grow slightly longer. And 
you just hear someone clear their throat uh, from off to the side of the door, and the voice of Nightfall says, You kids seem like you're lost. Petrine turns, lifts up her hand, and says, Greetings. Uh, a horse head is like a nudging daybreak on the shoulder, like, Go, go. <laughs> <laughs> You guys go for the time machine, I'll hold back. As soon as you say, you guys go for the time machine, he just flips on a dime, and the shadows that were kind of lengthening around the room grow up around the group of you, and grab, I think, whoever went in the door first, which is going to be Patrine, and just slings you up against the wall, so I do need you to take a powerful blow. Seven. On a seven to nine, uh, you choose one. You can either lash out verbally, provoking a teammate to foolhardy action, or taking advantage of your influence to inflict a condition. You can give ground, and your opposition gets an opportunity. Or you can just struggle past the pain and mark two conditions. What do you want to do? I'm going to give ground. What does that look like? Patrine is grabbed and slammed against the wall, uh, but she's still kind of focusing on the whole daybreak, like, you guys get to the time machine thing. And she's like, daybreak, you go to the time machine. And when she gives ground, what she does, she kind of cracks the wall a little, which kind of causes it to buckle and kind of start sending some things down on her teammates, which Nightfall can kind of use. She is very heavy and weighty. Yeah, no, I, I like that. It, it kind of crumbles a little bit of the room, makes it a little bit harder for your teammates to maneuver towards this time machine. Paradox at this point has ducked back behind the door and is peering out of it and kind of like holding up, you know, a hand at you, like, go kids. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not the like one hand just like, go, shoot. Shoot, yeah, go, he's, go, he's like he's there. like waving at you, like yeah, go do it, just 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 Woo! get it get it done. Yeah, I believe kids. in you. All he needs is like a martini, and he's just standing aside. Yeah, you can do it, kids. I think the opportunity that Nightfall is going to take is because you specifically called out Daybreak to go to the machine. One last wave of shadows pushes you up against the wall, and then he is on Nightfall and has grabbed him by the front of his uh, his costume and just lifted him physically up off the ground. Nightfall has Daybreak. Sorry, Nightfall lifts Daybreak up off the ground, and he leans in kind of close to look at your look at your face. What do you think you're playing at? Uh, trying to be a Hero? Something that you seem to have forgotten. Oh, that's good. Uh, you know what? Directly engage that threat. Doesn't have to be physically. That is a five. That is not good. Well, there is currently two team in the pool, so let's pause for just a second to uh, enter battle against a dangerous foe as a team. So, who do you think is in charge of this fight right now? Who's the leader? Daybreak's definitely taking the lead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it seems like Daybreak. It's Daybreak, okay. Does Daybreak have influence on all of you? Uh, no, I do not. Okay. I only have influence on Patrine, it looks like. On the upside, you add two just base, so we're up to four. Let's go around quite quite briefly and ask, Daybreak, what is your purpose in this fight? Unfortunately, it is to try and kick Nightfall's ass. Cool. Hextinction, how about you? Fix the past. Cool. Patrine, how about you? <laughs> Get Daybreak back to the past. <laughs> awesome. And Horsehead. Nightfall needs to be taken down. All right. So, so two out of the four of you have the same purpose. <laughs> That's more than I expected. Uh, do any of you... Oh, this is a great one. Do any of you mistrust the leader or any of the rest of your teammates right now? Not really. I, I'm a little creeped out at Patrine's weird key hands, but I don't really mistrust her. <laughs> yeah, I, I trust them. Okay, cool. There you go. There you go. And I actually do not think you are ill-prepared or off-balance because, as mentioned, uh, Hextinction at the very least knew that, that uh, Nightfall was up here. So we are at four team in the pool, and you have a five on your directly engage. I don't think Patrine is in a place to help, but do you think the other two of you can and would help with this? Because that could get it up to a seven. Uh, yeah, okay, I'll help with that. Basically, like, he's uh, using a lot of effort controlling his shadows everywhere. Like, he's, what, holding up Patrine while he's also, like, uh, holding Daybreak over here. 
So like he's he's stretching himself kind of thin. So I'm going to like try and disrupt that. Okay. Uh, how are you going to do that? Well, I know for a fact that from the flashback, his light powers like physically interacted with me. Yes. I know that he is one of the few things that I I can physically interact with, unlike any other object. So uh, like I unscrew my boot and I'm like sticking my gas into his shadows and trying to disperse it like that. <laughs> You're just picturing you unscrewing your your boot off. <laughs> While this fight is going on. There's like a little valve. Hextinction. We get like a sort of reflection of the takedown that she did against that poor scientist. Except this time rather than like claws outstretched, it's just her arm turns into like a big brontosaurus hoof. Oh, I love that. All right. Daybreak, pick one thing off that list. What do you want to do? Okay, so uh, I know what I want to do. So this might be either a take something away or an impress, depending on how you want to interpret it. But I want to, um, using my own light against his shadow tendrils and get them to fizzle out, uh, like fizzle out, uh, you know, light against shadows. What is the upshot of this? Are you just trying to get rid of his shadows for a second or what's the... I think I want to show him that I'm a threat, that I'm not just someone cosplaying him, basically. Okay. I, I think that would be an impress, surprise, or frighten, and I think I think that would be more of a surprise than anything, because he was not expecting that. So you light flash at him, and he blinks, and that puts him off balance enough for Hextinction to kind of like Bronto hoof him and horse head to disrupt his shadow, so Patrine kind of falls back down to the ground. Now, the thing you did not do was resist or avoid his blows. Nope. As he recovers from this Bronto hoofing, he shakes his head and he just stares daggers at you. Oh, God damn it. And I think at that point, he just physically charges and tries to tackle you through a window. And keeping in mind, you are in a skyscraper, so I am going to need you to take a powerful blow. Let's see how my cursed dice treat me. Mm, that is a seven. All right. So yeah, uh. he he hits you. And depending on what you choose here, we will determine how that goes. What do you want to choose? I'm going to choose to uh, lash out verbally. Uh... I'm going to take advantage of my influence on Patrine and tell her to go for the time machine. Now, are you trying to provoke a teammate to foolhardy action or inflict a condition? Uh, I think I'm going to be inflicting a condition here. Something along the lines of, what are you doing? Go for the time machine. Insecure might be good in that case. Now, it is worth mentioning something that has been pointed out fairly recently on the Twitter.com that I was not aware of. You can try and reject influence when someone uses it to inflict a condition. So, Patrine, do you want to reject Daybreak's influence? Or do you just want to take that? Let's try. Now, are you insecure right now? Uh, n not until I take this condition. Okay, so it's just a, a flat roll then. Nine. Okay, so on a seven to nine, uh, you can choose one. So you're not going to mark that condition. You can instead clear a condition or mark potential by immediately acting to prove them wrong. You can shift one label up and one down your choice, or you can cancel their influence. And take plus one forward against them. So let's go with the uh, cancel a condition and then immediately act to prove them wrong. Okay, so you're going to clear your condition. And then how are you immediately acting to prove Daybreak wrong? To prove Daybreak wrong um, as the I don't need to go for that. I've got super durability and strength here. So I'm going to dash forward, grab a hold of Nightfall and yoink him back before he can <laughs> tackle them through a window. Nice. As the two of them are moving towards this big plate glass window, very sturdy, but uh, Nightfall does not seem to think this is going to be a problem. Patrine swoops in and grabs the back of his shirt. Daybreak does uh, continue forward because momentum is a thing. And let's get over to Horsehead. It's been a sec. What you doing? 
uh, well, presumably in that fight, Daybreak would have had to have dropped Overclock's head. Probably. <laughs> Probably, yeah. It's, it's, let's, say, let's say it's rolling around the floor and he is yelling obscenities <laughs> because he does not like this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm like hopping over on one leg while trying to put my boot back on over to Overclock. You know how to switch off the zombies. Yeah, I, I just I just need a high location, probably some piece of metal. I mean, technically anything with a transmitter would do. We're just, you know, sending out a radio pulse. Yeah, this lab would absolutely have stuff like that. Oh yeah, find find me a control panel and plug me the hell in. Uh, yes, uh, I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm actually going to unleash my powers here to use my uh, technopathy to fuse him with one of the console boards here. Oh, I like that. Yeah, go ahead and do that. That is an eight. Yeah, you find a console that looks like it is sufficiently uh, high-tech enough, and you smack his head into it. What does that look like? Uh, like, uh, initially, like, nothing here plugs into him, so I just place him there, and, like, uh, as my uh, gas is coming out of the body, it- it's there's, like, all these crackles of electricity around his uh, neck as, as it's just, like, uh, fusing into the metal itself and giving him access to the circuit boards underneath. Nice. So, on a 7 to 9, you can either mark a condition, or I will tell you how this is unstable or temporary. I have conditions to burn, so I'm going to go with afraid. Yeah, it seems, seems relevant in the circumstances. We may not be able to take Nightfall. We may just be able to hold him off at best. Yeah, he, he seems like he's chugging along pretty well. Uh, so Hextinction, what are you up to? Sorry, so I don't think I have an entirely great idea of the layout of the fight right now. So Sure, sure. Nightfall is... Nightfall had tackled Daybreak to try and put him through a window. Mm-hmm. Daybreak yelled at Patrine. Patrine then grabbed Nightfall off the back of Daybreak, and that is where we now stand. Uh, meanwhile, Horsehead has plugged Overclock into a control panel. Is Daybreak going through a window? Daybreak has impacted the window, and it has cracked a little bit, but it does not seem like it has broken. So he's probably in no immediate danger of going through that window. Okay, in that case, I'm gonna try and get the, the time machine. Just making a break for it? Yeah, I have been. Mean- that's kind kind of what we're here for, and I believe in Patrine. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. So I yeah I don't I don't think you're going to have a whole lot of trouble getting to it. The question is, what are you going to do when you get there? How big is it? It is a big chair sized machine. So like, have you ever seen the two uh, thousands version of the time machine where it's just a giant chair on a platform? I think so. With like the big spinning spinning wheel in the back, or is that the classic one? Yeah, big spinning wheel, gears all over the place, big lever, that kind of thing. Okay. Dials everywhere. Just start hitting buttons. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, I mean, let's start trying to use it, <laughs> Okay, I guess. You're just going to jump in and start <laughs> like, pushing also, buttons. You are also a technopath. Yeah, true. Oh, true. I am a technopath. <laughs> um, so I guess, you know, try and connect to this thing. Like, I, the thing is, I don't imagine it has, like, normal computers, given It absolutely does how, not. <laughs> yeah, how Professor Paradox describes things. I don't think this actually makes sense from a technological perspective. No, this thing does not make any kind of sense. But if you jump in and just start pushing buttons, uh, I think I am going to have you unleash your powers. Actually, actually, no, I'm sorry. There is something that makes a little more sense here, since you are essentially having to figure out how this thing works as you're using it. Pierce a time machine's mask. Great. <laughs> if you're a technopath, that makes sense. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, that's a, that's a four, folks. 
And unfortunately, we only have two team left in the pool, so even if everyone wanted to help, I don't think they could. I have no clue how this works. So you jump in, and you immediately realize that there are... So there there are so... First off, there are so many buttons, and none of them are labeled. There are dials everywhere, and while they have numbers on them, again, they are not labeled, so you have no idea what they actually indicate. And in that moment, while you are just bewildered by the lack of design on this thing, Nightfall redirects and swings Patrine into you. So I think I am going to have you... I think I'm just going to have you mark a condition. All right. Let's say... I think probably hopeless makes sense because... I'm, like, looking at this thing, it completely conflicts with how I was raised to believe time travel works. (laughs) I don't think this is actually going to work. It looks like a prop from a movie. And at that point, as you are getting those feelings, Petrine impacts the side of you, and the both of you go flying off the seat of this time machine. And one of the little spinny dials, like the little glass casing on it, breaks. And you can see Paradox in the doorway, like, putting a hand up to his face, like, oh no! (laughs) (laughs) And let's get back over to Daybreak, because it has been a minute. Yeah, so I'm going to do something really dumb. I have the move uh, growing into your power when you unleash your powers to do something your future self can do. I can uh, mark a condition and roll savior instead of freak. I saw Nightfall grab Patrine with his shadow tendrils earlier. I would like to do something similar. I would like to try and grab Professor Paradox and throw him at the time machine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go for it. So um, first of all, I am marking insecure because I really like that condition. That is going to be a eight. Okay, so... You grab Paradox. Uh, first off, tell us what this looks like. Are you are you just are you actually tapping into like the shadows in the room and using those for the first time? So I think yeah. So normally Daybreak's powers are bright and shiny, but you start seeing cracks in them, like dark, jagged edges. And one of those tendrils that Nightfall is crawling around with snaps into Daybreak's control, and then he uses that to grab Professor Paradox and. Do you want to mark a condition, or shall I tell you how this is unstable or temporary? Sure, I like conditions. I I will mark a condition. What's marking? Just do guilty. I kind of just threw an old man at a time machine. That can't be good for him. You did, and it's not. And are you trying to land him in the machine, or just get him there? If I can land him in the machine, that would be, uh, that would be good. Yeah, you certainly can. You just slurp him across the room, plop him down into that machine, and you hear, like, a snap and like a hiss it seems like you might have broken one of the little valves on that thing that's plugged into his chest and he kind of clutches at a little bit a little a little warning next time is really all i ask let's mm, thank you and as he does he immediately starts pushing buttons so i want to kind of drop out of time for a second petrine hextinction both of you are fairly close to this what are you up to well he's trying to use it and i don't imagine that it automatically brings the entire room so i want to try and like hook patrine's arm grab onto this machine and then extend my arm out as a brontosaurus neck to grab horsehead and ideally daybreak but i only have so many arms that's fair that's fair <laughs> because i th- the best guess i have is that if if this thing is going to make no sense then maybe it works by if we're touching it it'll work i think you and patrine are going to be easy enough 
Patrine can see Hextinction doing this. And what she'll do is she'll hook one of her arms on and then attach her other arm to the machine. So she's actually kind of embedded in the machine on the side. <laughs> so so I think this is going to be easy enough for Petrine. But for Daybreak or Horsehead, I think you're really only going to have time for one of them. So who who are you most after at this point to try and pull along with you? Oof. God, they're they're both <laughs> such dramatic choices to to leave Daybreak alone with with Nightfall or to take Daybreak away from the confrontation. Ah, right? uh, damn it! Is this what my players feel like all the time, every time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's got to be Horsehead. What does that look like on the page? As this. Machine is, I imagine, like doing weird lights and going, going all wild. We just see a two-panel-wide view of Daybreak engaged with Nightfall and Hextinction's arms snaking out past them to grab onto Horsehead. And as they do, and you start reeling Horsehead back in, Paradox flips a dial and then grabs the lever, looks over at you. Well, I did tell you you'd get to use it one time. And he pulls the lever, and there is a flash of bright blue light. And we will see you next issue. Masks A New Generation is written for Magpie Games by Brendan Conway. It is made of expository flashbacks, tough decisions, and future selves. Abandon your teammate in the future to go back in time and buy it. Horsehead is played by Nick, GM of Real Fantasy Encounters. You can find him on Twitter at RFEncounters. Hextinction is played by Evan Saft, your friendly neighborhood GM on the Roll Out podcast. They can be found on Twitter at NamesEquipped.com or at Rollout Podcast. Petrine is played by Mac. She's a co-host of Crooked Russian Cam's podcasts, including Gem Jammer and I Will Fight You. You can find her at any of those, or at MacKenzie on Twitter. Daybreak is played by Eric. You can find him on Twitter, at PrimeFactorX01, or listen to him play a silky smooth fay on the Shadows of St. Fleur podcast. Apex City is jammed by Jeremy, who also writes the music and edits this podcast. Our album art was provided by Fitzsimmons. Find them on Instagram at Fitzonomy. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or Drifting in the Quantum Foam. Follow us on Twitter at ApexCityCast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next issue.